Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to the live worship services by Solomite Ministries, the special day of the first day of another day. Trying to get some music started here for you. Your patience as we prepare for worship music. You're just about your
Thank you, Lord, Heavenly Father, for this special day. Thanks for this day of rest, and worship, celebration. Thank you for Passover. Thank you for sacrifice, your blood, your body, your love. Feed us with your body. Feed us with your body, blood. That has just hit me right now. Even though that's something I've always known, I never saw it in that way. Right now, that the very thing that religious people despise, human body, nude human body, is what you saved us with. It is mind-blowing. Thank you, Lord, Heavenly Father, your body and your blood. Thank you, Lord, that you know all of our needs, all of our cures. No. Thank you, Lord, that you will finish the work that you started in us. Thank you, Lord, that today all of us are going to grow in truth. Thank you, Lord, that this first day of unleavened bread represents the process of unleavening, a process of removing sin from our lives, that this is a process that all of us must undergo, endure. We must make it from the first day until the last day. We must endure and not give up. We'll make mistakes along the way. We might find some leavening in the house that we did not realize. But we will continue, continue and continue. Cleanse our lives, prepare ourselves for your coming, prepare ourselves for the kingdom, for paradise. But do our part. We know that you're faithful to do your part. And we are getting there. We are getting there. It is our destiny. And it is our fate and our destiny to live and to not die. To live and to prosper. Be bountiful. Be your servant. Thank you, Lord, for this high calling. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to gather together for these special services, special time. Pray that brothers and sisters, phones and computers and internet will cooperate with them of this year. Pray for our brothers and sisters in Islamic nations 
ominous nations. Nations that are under siege, under attack, including America. Thank you for more time to prepare, to get ready, to learn more. Thank you that today we're not hiding in the wilderness, but able to listen to a live broadcast to where we are going to be educated, informed, and enlightened. More truth. We thank you, Lord, for this. Thank you, Lord. what you've already done, for what you're doing right now, and what you're about to do, and what you're going to do in the future. Thank you for your goodness, your wisdom, and your love. We commit the service into your hands. Thy will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise God. You may be seated once you get done dancing and jumping. Praise God. Let's turn to Leviticus 23. Now, today, we're actually going to have two sermons. Both of them will follow, maybe. Short, short enough to where we can get two sermons in, two different topics that I believe that the Lord has laid on my heart and mind this week. And there's a lot to learn. Therefore, we have to press, press on, press forward. Amen. Genesis 23. Of course, of course, this is the chapter to go to when you want to learn about the holy days, how to keep the holy days, when are the holy days, so forth. This is where you go in the Bible and in other chapters as well. But this is one of the main places you go to because it's a very good list of the holy days all in one chapter for the most part other than other than Purim and Hanukkah, because you find out about those in other chapters. But for the most part, it's a pretty good test in one chapter. So anytime anybody says Leviticus 23, you should know immediately that is a list of holy days. That should be ingrained into your mind and heart and being. Leviticus 23 is a list of holy days. And in verse 1, Jesus spoke to Moses, saying, Say to the children of Jezreel, and you shall say to them, The fiestas of Jesus, which you shall call holy, summoned assemblies. These are my fiestas. Notice here, it's the fiestas of Jesus and not the fiestas of Moses. God himself says, these are my fiestas. 
So twice in one verse, we're told that this belongs to the Lord, not Moses, not the Old Covenant, not just temporary ceremonial laws, but these are holy unto God himself, commanded by God himself, belonging to even Christ Jesus. And these are holy summoned assembly. That means that we are commanded, we are summoned as a legal court order to appear before the Lord. That's exactly what that means. Not a choice other than are you going to obey God or not obey God. Amen. And, of course, in our modern times, the way we attend together, assemble together, is over the Internet because the reality is that there are very few people on this earth, very few people right now, apparently, that serve Jesus. Very few people serve Jesus right now. Very few. Of course, there are billions of people that think they serve God. Think they serve God. Revelation 12, verse 9 says that Satan has deceived the entire, entire world. Everyone. Everywhere you look, people are proud that they are saved and they're going to heaven, they're going to paradise, but yet they do not live for God. They do not. And even if they try to live for God, they're under a deception, a delusion, a false religion. And they are the blind leading the blind. Pastors, as it says in Matthew 7, that cast out demons, prophesy in his name, were many mighty miracles. Jesus is going to speak to those same pastors and those same Christians, so-called, and say, I never knew you. I never knew you. You was never saved. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity, you that work at breaking the law, you who work at breaking the law, you who preach against and teach against the commandments, the fiestas, the Sabbaths, those are the ones that are working at breaking the law. These are the fiestas of the Lord. There's three, six days you should do work. Six days, not five days a week, but six days you can work. That doesn't mean that you're required to work on your job six days, but it means that for six days you can earn money. You can work on the farm and dig ditches and shovel gravel and do whatever you need to do, both for work and for other reasons, hard labor, whether it's for pay or not pay. So it doesn't mean you have to earn pay on all six days in order to serve the Lord, but what it means is that there's only one day that is a command at rest. Amen? 
there's only one day, and you can't pick the day. You can't pick for yourself. It's designated. It's holy. It's summoned. It's blessed. It's sanctified. It's set apart. Amen. It says it's the seventh day. It doesn't say the first, the second, or the third. The seventh day is the rest day, a rest, a holy summoned assembly to Jesus. He should not do any work that is a rest day to Jesus in all of your dwellings, your houses, your households. These are the fiestas to Jesus, not to Moses, but to Jesus. Holy summoned assemblies. It says that over and over and over. And any time the Bible says anything over and over, you've got to pay attention. Which you shall call in their season. So each one is in a season or a particular time. That can also be translated as time in their time, at the appointed time. Not a time of your choosing, but in the appointed time or in the appropriate season, however it is translated. Verse 5, in the first month, not January, because all you got to do is do a simple search on the Internet, a very simple search in the encyclopedia. If you got an encyclopedia at home on the bookshelf, you can dust off the encyclopedia that you haven't touched in 20, 30, 40 years and look at the history of the months of the year, how did they change the beginning of the year, how it originally was in March and April, and then they changed it to January. So the first month is not January. In the first month, that is March and April, on the 14th day of the month, going by the moon, they call it the word month, it's the same word for moon in English. Month and moon is the same word origin, same word origin. The month is determined by the moon, even as the day and the night is determined by, determined by the sun and the other stars. And the sun is a star. Determines the stars, so the stars, including the sun, determines the sun, determines the day and the night. The moon determines the month. Fourteenth day of the moon at sunset is Jesus's Passover or the Passover of Jesus. Now, that's when we do the communion. That's when we do the Passover communion. And then the third worship is you start in the beginning at the sunset of your time, wherever you're at, whatever nation you're in, whatever part of the world. When it is at sunset on Passover, that is when you do your Passover communion on the 14th day of the month. Not as often as you want. Not every Sunday or once a month or Christmas or Easter or any other time, but only on this date, a specific appointed date. Verse 6, and then on the 15th day, the next day of the month, is the fiesta of unleavened bread. So that's today. Today is the 15th day of the first month of the biblical month. The fiesta of unleavened bread, two Jesus, we keep these days to Jesus, not to Moses. 
seven days shall you eat unleavened bread. It doesn't say only eat, only unleavened bread. We can still eat chicken, meatloaf, or praise the Lord, praise God. We can still eat eggs. We can still eat jello, spaghetti, macaroni and cheese, soup. Woo! Praise the Lord. Praise God. It is a good day. It's a good day. Amen. It's a fiesta. Amen. We can have fun in the fiesta. Okay? And tonight is the first. It is a tonight, so it is called the night to be much observed. The night to be much observed tonight. Because tonight is the night that they crossed the Red Sea all night long. Amen. They crossed the Red Sea. Amen. So we celebrate the departure from Egypt, which represents for us the departure from false religion, the departure from false gods, demonic names, corrupted Bibles, our deliverance from Sunday, Christmas, Easter, all those things, much of which the Egyptians were actually doing, believe it or not. The Assyrians, the Egyptians, the Babylonians, all of those nations, those cultures, those empires had a whole lot more in common than what we are told. A lot more in common about religion, and their religious beliefs and their holidays, much more in common than what we are told. Amen. Verse 7, in the first day should be a holy summer and assembly to you. You should do no laborer's work. Verse 8, and you should offer hope and offerings to Jesus seven days. Should be a holy summer to simulate to you should be no laborers' work. Now, our burnt offerings today is our prayers, because there is a verse in the Bible, it might be the book of Revelation or somewhere else, that says that our prayers ascended up into heaven uh, like smoke, a smoke of a fire burning. Uh, so these are our prayers as our burnt offerings today. So, you know, sometimes your prayers are fine in being very calm, cool, relaxed. But there are other times your prayers need to be hot and fervent, passionate, jealous. Amen. Some of your prayers, some of your prayers need to be more intense and more heartfelt, more passionate, caught on fire for the Lord. We need to send smoke signals up into heaven. Amen? Amen. Amen. Praise God. Then, starting in verse 9, we're going to start studying right now about something that is called the Feast of First Fruits. Have any of you heard of the Feast of First Fruits? 
feeds the first fruits is something I don't teach. I don't teach, and I don't really observe either. Why is that? And what is, what is the feast of first fruits? Does that even exist? What is it, and when is it? Now, there are debates. There are different debates. And I spent much time last night into, into the night up until around 1.30 or so, studying this and preparing the sermon and preparing both the sermons for today. And in a sincere search for the truth, wanting to get this right, not misunderstanding, really wanting to understand the truth, whatever it may be. And I was willing to even come here today and say, okay, we've got to start doing this. This is a certain time and a certain day, and this is how we do it, and we've never done it before. If, if, if that's the truth. But what is the truth? And I was willing to go either direction, whatever the Bible says. Now, there are some people say that the Feast of First Fruits is actually just another name for Pentecost. But yet, there's other people that say that it is a separate feast in itself during the days of unleavened bread, during the time frame of unleavened bread sometime during that week, an entirely different feast that is separate and distinct during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. I'm sure there's other opinions as well, but what is the truth? Verse 9 says, Jesus spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Jesus, and you shall say to them, When you shall enter into the land which I give you, and reap the harvest of it, then shall you bring a sheaf, that means a sheaf of wheat or barley, a bundle of wheat, a bundle of barley, the first fruits of your harvest of that barley to the priest. He shall lift up that bundle before Jesus to be accepted for you on the next day of the first day, the priest shall lift it up. That don't really make sense the next day of the first day. So what we're going to do is we're going to mark out the word of. When it says next day of, we're going to mark out the word of. Right above the word of, we're going to put after. It's going to say on the next day after the first day. On the next day after the first day. And then, where it says first day, we're going to change the word day to weekly Sabbaths. Weekly Sabbaths. So now it's going to say, on the next day after the first weekly Sabbath. 
culminates day after the first weekly Sabbath. Peace shall lift you up. So again, verse 11, and you shall lift up the bundle or the sheet this week before Jesus to be accepted for you on the next day after the first weekly Sabbath, the priest shall lift it up. So this means that the first fruits or the first bundle of barley that was harvested during the seven days of unleavened bread, because this is what it was talking about, is seven days of unleavened bread, the day after the weekly Sabbath during that week. Amen? Now, we already know what is special about that day. We think about it. What is special about that day? The first day after the weekly Sabbath during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That's when we start counting to 50. Amen? Amen. That's when we start counting to 50. Amen. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't grow wheat. I don't grow barley. I really don't know anyone that does. I know there are some people in this county and around the nation and around the world that do grow wheat and barley, but I don't know any of them personally. But even if I did know any of them, uh, I really don't believe that the local farmer that grows wheat needs to take his bundle of wheat to me or any priest or any pastor and say, hey, wave this up to the sky for the Lord for me. I really don't believe that we need to do anything like that in our modern times. Amen? If we did, then we would also have to be uh, the Feast of Tabernacles, instead of camping in tents, we would have to uh, break down the branches of the trees and build us a survival emergency shelter out of tree branches every year for the Feast of Tabernacles, which really is almost impossible to do for most of us because most of us don't own land with trees on it. Most of us rent our homes, and a lot of us don't have any trees on our land, although we got a lot of trees right here, but we don't own it. And a lot of you live in apartments or trailers and stuff like that without trees. So forth is unrealistic for our modern times, and it's really just ceremonial Old Covenant things. Nevertheless, the counting of 50 that we're about to read about, that's something we can do. And it is important to count to 50 so that you can count to Pentecost. That's the purpose of counting to 50. The word Pentecost is a Greek word that means 50. The word Pentecost is a Greek word not Hebrew, not Aramaic, but Greek means 50. For all these Hebrew roots people, that's all about 
the Torah, the Torah, the Torah, the Torah, the Torah, if they keep Pentecost, guess what? It's a Greek word, which is actually Hebrew, but they don't know that. But I'm sure it's pretty offensive that they have to use a Greek word. They hate Greek and everything that is Greek. So that must be pretty offensive to those uh, Pharisees. Uh, Let's keep reading now. It says here in verse 10 that you should bring a sheaf, the first fruits of your harvest, to the priest. Now, notice, it doesn't say that this is the day or the fiesta of first fruits. It just says to bring your first fruits. There's a difference. Right? Notice in verse 6. On the 15th day of this month is the fiesta of unleavened bread. It gives it a title, a name. Amen? But verse 10, it's not a title. It doesn't say the fiesta of first fruits. It doesn't say it. It only says to bring your first fruits to the harvest, to the priest. And then he'll wave it for you on the, the day after the weekly Sabbath in verse 11. Then verse 12, you shall offer on the day in which you bring the bundle, the sheep, a lamb, without blemish of a year old for a whole burnt offering to Jesus. So they actually had to do a lamb sacrifice for Passover and then another lamb sacrifice on the first Sunday during the days of unleavened bread. So it was a day of offerings unto the Lord, sort of like a holy day that you would offer offerings unto the Lord on a holy day, but it doesn't really call it, at least in this verse. Now we're going to look at other places too, so we won't make all of our assumptions immediately. We're just going to go one chapter at a time, one verse at a time, and, and see what develops, if anything develops. You know, it's just learn one step at a time, okay? But right here, we've not seen a title for it yet, but it does seem like a particular holy day. It does seem like that because it is a offering. Verse 13, there's also a meat offering, two-tenth portions of fine flour, mingled with oil. Now, of course, it would have to be unleavened because it's happening during the unleavened seven days. So fine flour in this particular case, we know in the context of the unleavened flour. Mingled with oil, it is a sacrifice to Jesus, a smell of sweet aroma to Jesus, and it's drink offering the fourth part of a hand of wine. And you shall eat no bread or the new parched grain until the same day until you offer the sacrifices to your God. It is a long-term statue throughout your generations and all your jobs. Now, verse 14, at first glance, kind of seems like it says, don't eat any bread until you do this offering. But it can't mean that. It can't mean. Why? Why can it not mean don't eat any bread during the days of unleavened bread? Because the Bible tells us, come on now, come on now, 
What are you, what are you talking about, really? There is Bible verses that tells you to eat unleavened bread every day of the seven days. Amen? So what it really means, then, is that uh, of the new grain, of the new grain, don't eat any of it until you have the offering on that day. So in other words, now it's going to vary year to year about how many days there was between Passover and the first Sunday of bread. It varies every year how many days between Passover and the Sunday after Passover. It might be one day, two days, three days, four or five, whatever. But in the first few days of those seven days, until you get to that first Sunday, you're eating old bread, the old grain, not from the new harvest, not from that spring harvest. But you're eating grain that was left over from last year. Amen. But then when you get to that Sunday of unleavened bread after Passover, then you make this all these offerings, and then you start eating the new grain that you just picked a few days ago. Amen. It's, it really is new grain. Amen. That's very interesting, very edifying. Okay, what, Brother Gerald? Brother Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. That they would have to be eating the old grain from Egypt at the beginning of the feast, the food that they brought from Egypt, and then start picking the new grain and the manna and all the new food and the quail and the meats and the water that they got over across the other side of of Egypt, across the other side of the Red Sea. Very interesting. Amen. Praise God. Thank you, brother. So what this can mean for us today is that during those seven days of unleavened bread, It is a process. These seven days of unleavened bread represent us having a gone out a time period process of our entire lives, our entire lives, and not only individually, but the human race of thousands of years process of trying to get the sin out of our lives so that when we are first coming to the Lord, we're still eating some of that old bread. We still have some leftover remnant, stale, old teachings, doctrines, misunderstandings, misconceptions, sin, that's over. Leavening puffs up. The action of baking soda or any other leavening product inside bread, inside a bread grain, 
the way it works is it releases gases. And that is the difference between pasta that soaks up the water and it just swells up. That's not leavening. That's an entirely different process. So it's okay to eat pasta, macaroni, spaghetti, stuff like that, because the water soaks up, it swells up. That's not leaven because it does not release gases inside the bread because it's not really bread. But when you have cornmeal or flour or some kind of bread grain and you add a leavening agent, baking soda, baking powder, or even eggs, and you add that in there, stir it up, mix water or some kind of juice with it, and heat it up, that yeast inside of that releases gases, which forms the air holes, like a sponge, all those little tiny air holes inside the bread. That's how you know it is leavened, is because of release of gases in those air holes. So, and it's like gas. <laughs> it stinks. <laughs> so it is a release of gases. Amen. That is what leavening is. So uh, let's see. Put my glasses on. So don't eat of the new bread, new grain, until that Sunday. We don't have to worry about that. We really don't have to worry about any of these things in verse uh, 9 to 14, except for that we need to recognize that on that particular Sunday, during the week of unleavened bread, we have to start counting to Pentecost because if we don't count to Pentecost, we won't know when to keep Pentecost. We won't know when to keep Pentecost unless we actually start counting on that Sunday. So verse 15, you shall count from that day, the day after the rest day, from the day in which you shall offer the sheep of the heath offering, seven full weeks. You count seven full complete weeks. Seven times seven days is 49 days. You count seven weeks, which is 49 days, counting that, counting that first Sunday. And then verse 16 says, until the next day, after that last week, you should number a total of 50 days. So it's always going to land on a Sunday. Pentecost is always, always, always on a Sunday. And Pentecost is the only holy day other than the one that where they was waving the, the wheat in the air. Other than that, Pentecost is the only holy day that is always on a particular day of the week, other than, of course, your weekly Sabbath always seven. But all the other holy days can actually fall any day of the year because it is always either the 14th or the 15th or the 21st or whatever, whatever day that falls on. So that was the day of the year. 
but your Pentecost will always be on a Sunday for this reason right here. Because you're starting with a Sunday, you're counting seven full weeks, when you come to the 50th day, that automatically makes you Pentecost land on a Sunday. Now, there are some people that debate that and say that it can land any day of the week. And I have examined that sincerely, willing to change what I believe, willing to change my teachings, whatever the Bible really teaches. I looked at it sincerely and deeply to what the truth really is and concluded that Pentecost must always be on a Sunday. That's very clear in this description of how you count Pentecost. Very clear. You really cannot mistake this. Verse 17. You should bring from your dwelling uh, loaves of bread as a heap offering, two loaves. They should be two tenths horses and fine flour that he baked with the leaven of the first fruits to Jesus. So I'm thinking this is talking about on that 50th day. We've already counted the 50 days, right? We're done with that. So the Feast of Unleavened Bread was up there in verse 6, verse 7, verse 8. That was the Unleavened Bread. Now we're down here to counting the seven weeks and you've already come to the 50th day, which is Pentecost. So then when you get to verse 17, the leavening is at Pentecost. Okay? Now, of course, you can start eating leavening uh, on the eighth day, of course, the day after the unleavened bread. You can go ahead. You don't have to wait till Pentecost to start eating the leavening. But all this is saying is once you do come to Pentecost, once you do come to the number 50, which is what Pentecost means, then, then at that day and time back in the Old Covenant, they had to do an offering of bread and all the other offerings that you read about in the rest of these verses here. We're not going to read the rest of that because that's dealing with Old Covenant of sacrifices in the Old Covenant offerings. We know that on all of these holy days, the blood of the Lamb and the body of Christ replaced animal sacrifices. We also know that his body and blood replaced all of this stuff about having to wave wheat and having to uh, do the uh, grain offerings and the other offerings, because all of those different offerings like that are just another form of animal sacrifice, even when it was just uh, red grains and, and stuff like that. It's the same principle of symbolism that is now replaced through the body and blood of Christ Jesus. One thing we do today is we, we have the commanded worship services, we pray, we worship, we sing songs, we praise the Lord, we give thanks, we do extra prayer that day, and we rest. We know that the rest days are not uh, replaced by the body and blood of Jesus. We know that rest and worship is not replaced by the body and blood of Jesus. And that's just because Jesus died for us doesn't mean we have to stop worshiping God. Come on now. 
we still worship, and we worship on the appointed times. The Apostle Paul said, uh, let us keep the feast. And he was talking about the Feast of Unleavened Bread when he said that. Let us keep the feast, not with the old bread. Let's find that verse. <laughs> huh? 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7. Page 180. Go around the glad brother here. Page 180. 1 Corinthians 5. Verse 8, let's even do verse 7. Look at this. Verse 7, clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new mass of dough, just as, uh, just as you are in fact unleavened for Christ our Passover has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us celebrate the feast not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. This takes on new, increased edification now that we understand about how they were eating the old leaven the first few days. I mean, not leaven, but the old bread, old grain, rather. And then they started eating the new grain later in those seven days. So now we don't have to eat any of the old bread at all. Amen. And let us not celebrate it with the old leaven or the old bread, but let us become a new lot. Let us become a new bread. Let us become a, a new body to Christ Jesus. Amen. Very interesting, very edifying. Amen. Let us sing a new song to the Lord. Amen. But let us keep the feast, Paul said. And Paul and the apostles continued to keep the feast days, all the feast days, decades, decades. Paul wrote that not just one or two, one or two years after Christ died, but actually at least 20 years after Christ died, they say, and maybe 30 or 40 years later. It wasn't the same week he died. It was written decades later. How come the churches don't teach you that? How come the Baptist teacher and the Pentecostal teacher doesn't teach you that Paul wrote that, let us keep the feast, decades after Christ went back to heaven? Amen? They continued to keep the feast days. Now, going back, let's see where I want to go next. In Leviticus 23, there is something special about that day that they was uh, offering the first fruit of the wheat. There is something special about that day. Uh, but I don't really see the title of the Feast of First Fruits. That's what's missing in that particular chapter, even though we're going to keep looking, okay? And let me look for a second. Let me think for a second as well. Oh, 
What else is missing between verse 9 and verse 14? Can anybody tell me in chat or here locally what else is missing other than a title for that day? If it's a holy day that we must continue to observe even today, what's missing there compared to all the other holy days? Leviticus 23, verse 9 to 14. What was the phrase that was constantly repeated over and over and over in all the other holy days? Holy Summer Assembly. Three, the weekly Sabbath is a holy summer assembly. We know Passover, we know that Jesus commanded us to be the foot worship and communion. Um, and then we know that there's a holy summer assembly in verse 7 for the unleavened bread. And your unleavened bread starts at that Passover communion, so that includes Passover. Uh, but we don't really have a, a Holy Son and Assembly on Passover other than just communion. And then on the first day on the bread, we have the Holy Son and Assembly. Uh, and on the seventh day, verse 8, the seventh day of unleavened bread, we have a Holy Son and Assembly. But I do not see a Holy Summoned Assembly in verse 9 to 14 talking about when they was doing the offering of the first fruits of wheat. It's not there. Plus, we don't have a title for that year. Amen. Now, let's look at another place to make for sure and see if there's something else we're missing. Exodus 34. Let's turn to Exodus 34. Exodus 34. We're going, to, we're going to look at verse 22. Exodus 34, verse 22, page 124. Verse 22 says, And you should keep to me. A fiesta of weeks, and where it says which is, I'm going to mark that completely out. And actually, this whole verse needs a lot of work. This entire verse is going to be completely, pretty much changed. But we know that it says that there is a fiesta of weeks. Now, the, the fiesta of weeks 
is another term for Pentecost. Okay, that's what that's talking about. It's seven weeks plus one day is Pentecost, and that's what that's talking about, Pentecost. And beginning of wheat harvest, that's what we just read about, uh, of the offering of the wheat harvest first Sunday during the days of unleavened bread. So it says beginning of wheat harvest. And the fiesta of ingathering. Now the fiesta of ingathering is talking about the feast of booths, or better known to us today as the fiesta of tabernacles. So this needs to be rearranged to where we have the wheat harvest appearing first, and then Pentecost in the middle, and where it says the middle of the year, that has to be moved around to right after it says Pentecost. So this whole structure, this whole this whole thing needs to be rearranged. Middle of the year goes right after Pentecost because Pentecost is in the middle of the year. The beginning of the wheat harvest needs to be cut at the beginning of the verse, but then very last is the fiesta of in gathering, which is the feast of tabernacles. Right? So those are three times in the year, verse 23, three times in the year, so every male of yours appear before the Lord Jesus of Jesus. The reason it says every male to appear before the Lord in those three commanded pilgrimages is that Back then, you didn't have airplanes, cars, and a lot of people didn't even have horses. People would have to literally walk for literally hundreds of miles or take a camel or a horse or a mule or anything that they could ride or hitch onto to get hundreds of miles to get to a commanded, a commanded location, whether it be Jerusalem or Bethlehem or one of the other places where God said his name. I'm not here. Where God said his name was Jerusalem and Bethlehem and there was another place. I will think of it later. So, Today, we can take cars, go very fast, very quickly in airplanes and everything like that. But back then, because it was such a long distance, God being merciful, very merciful. A lot of people don't think that God was merciful in the Old Testament, but he was. He was very merciful, and he didn't really want the men to carry their pregnant women and babies because back then, women were pregnant all the time, constantly. They had many, 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 many babies, and many children, many kids. The family was huge. He didn't want the man to have to drag all the babies and the pregnant women with him. So only the male leader, household, head of the house, had it to go on this long pilgrimage, hundreds of miles, three times a year. Uh, now, of course, the women and the children at home 
but still commanded to keep the holy days. The Bible says everybody in your house, even the stranger, even the maid, even the servant, even the slave, had to keep the holy days. So even the women and children still had to keep the holy days, but only the male head of the house, being the man, being more physically able to go on a long journey, had to go to the pilgrimage three times a year. Now today, if, if a woman is single without a man, she should still go to represent her household being the head of the house for her. It's not natural, but nevertheless, she is the head of the house in her household. She should still go. The principle here is that you should have a representative of your home go before the Lord at the appointed place at the appointed time. Amen. And since we have cars today and airplanes today, uh, I believe the whole family should come. Amen. I don't think it's limited to just one person per house anymore. There was a reason for everything. There's a reason why only the man went. I just told you the reason. So today I think the whole family should go on the pilgrimages. Amen. Of course, there's exceptions. You know, maybe if the woman not able to because of her pregnancy or whatever, then there's exceptions. But in general, everybody, man, woman, female, and children, should appear before the Lord three times a year, uh, in addition to keeping all the feast days in, that, in your local church, in the local church place, if there is one, and otherwise it's to be done on the internet. Now, going back to is there a such a thing as a fiesta of first fruits? Now, it says the beginning of wheat harvest, that really just sounds to me like a uh, description rather than a title. Now, the uh, Aramaic Bibles, King James and other Bibles, uh, that uses a lot of the Aramaic, Nazaretic, corrupted text, it says the first fruits of uh, wheat or first fruits of wheat harvest or something. It says something about first fruits there. But the Greek Septuagint does not use the word first fruits there, but rather the beginning of wheat harvest. But we know that that wheat harvest, whatever you want to call it, happens during the days of unleavened bread. We know that during the days of unleavened bread, Passover, that is a pilgrimage. So whatever you want to call it, it's the same week. It's the same period of time that people need to have the pilgrimage. But that sounds more like to me a description rather than a real title. Um, you're still referring to the same time of unleavened bread. And I don't see anything in here about a particular day, if we look around, if we scroll our eyes in the previous verses, the verses after that, I really don't see anything that describes a fully commanded assembly 
on a particular day of that Sunday of the wheat harvest. Not there either. Now let's go over to chapter 23, Exodus 23. Exodus 23, starting in verse 12. Exodus 23, verse 12. Six days should you do your work, and on the seventh day should you rest, that your ox and your donkey may rest, and that the son of your maidservant and the stranger may be refreshed. So being interesting, thinking about the children here, interesting. Thinking about the children, uh, that the children of your slaves would still, you know, would be spending time with their parents. They'd all be refreshed. So really, the slave would not be serving dinner and cooking dinner Sabbath. Verse 13, observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and you shall make no mention of the name of other gods, neither they shall they be heard out of your mouth. Now, when I first read that last night, of course, I've read it many times in my life, but when I read it again last night, at first, I thought, wow, I've got to get up tomorrow and say, we're not allowed to speak any false name of God, any demonic names. We can't speak those anymore. But then it came to my mind that Jesus did. And Paul did, and the apostles did, and the prophets did. Throughout the Bible, throughout the Bible, there are names of false gods. For example, over in um, 2 Corinthians, let's see see my notes, and I think I've got it written down maybe. I can catch up to where the words are. I guess I didn't write it down. But somewhere in Corinthians, one or two Corinthians, where it says, you should have no fellowship with darkness. What, what, what fellowship does light have with darkness? So, and that's two Corinthians, chapter 6. Verse 9. Not verse 9, but yeah, 2 Corinthians 6, verse 15. 
2 Corinthians 6, verse 15, what harmony has Christ was Balaam. Balaam, however you want to pronounce it. So, again, there's also the word or the name Zeus is in the Bible at least two times, maybe three times, depending on translation. Zeus is the name of a false god that is written in Scripture at least twice. And then there's Apollo, the book of Revelation. That's the name of a false god. That's written in Scripture. And Diana, that's written in Scripture in the book of Acts. That's a false god. And there's other examples throughout Scripture. So prophets, the apostles, and Jesus, and Paul were speaking they were speaking and writing the names of false gods. So it can't really mean what we think it means at first glance. We have to take time to think about it instead. And what it really means is that we should not make any vow to any false god respect those names and not honor those names and not show any reverence to those names. And we should limit, definitely should limit the uses of those names because after all, we're not going to praise those names. We're not going to pray to those names. We're not going to promote those names. We're not going to support those names. Amen. So it's going to be rare, going to be rare, that those names come out of our mouth, okay? But even though it looks like a complete, strict, 100% forbidding of speaking those names, we have to not overlook the fact that Christ used those names, that Paul, the apostles, and throughout Scripture, throughout Scripture, we can find demonic names. So we have to consider everything from Genesis to Revelation. We have to consider the whole Bible. So that that makes us understand that we should limit our usage, but it's not truly a strict forbidden. Now that was in what verse? That is, you know, help me keep up here. Exodus 23, verse 13. And now we go to verse 14, Exodus 23, verse 14, keep you a fiesta to me three times a year. Now we know there's actually uh, more than three fiestas, but they are broken down to spring, summer, and fall. And that there are three of those in those three seasons that are particular pilgrimages, and that's what it's really talking about here. Take heed to keep the fiesta of unleavened bread. Notice there that if we compare this chapter with the previous chapter, chapter 34, they both said three times a year, but this time it calls the feast of unleavened bread the feast of unleavened bread. It does not say the feast of first fruits, the fiesta of first fruits, nor does it say this time. Uh, the harvest of new grain or anything like that. Seven days you should eat the unleavened bread as I charged you or commanded you at the season of the month of new grain. 
So this describes the fiesta of unleavened bread as occurring during the month of new grain. So it's a description. And I'll look throughout the Bible to see if there's any results that actually calls that particular Sunday the fiesta of new grain or the fiesta of first fruits. It doesn't appear in those. It doesn't appear anywhere. That particular phrase, the fiesta of first fruits, does not appear in scripture anywhere. I looked for it, and you're welcome to look for it as well if you want to, but it doesn't exist. Also, we never find a commanded summoned assembly for that particular Sunday. It doesn't exist. But the three times a year, the two pilgrimages is unleavened bread during that month of evening. For in it you came out of Egypt, and you shall not appear before me empty-handed. We should all of us give a free will offering, uh, separate from our normal tithes. We should give a holy day offering at the three pilgrimages at the Passover season, unleavened bread season, then at Pentecost, give another free will offering, and then at the Feast of Unleavened, I mean, the uh, Tabernacles at the end of the year, give a free will offering. And then it says, uh, let's see, not appear in into the end of verse 16, and you should keep the fiesta of the harvest of First fruits. Now, this is a fiesta of the harvest of first fruits in your labor. So that makes it sound like it is calling that first Sunday the fiesta of first fruits, but it's actually not. And I'll tell you why it's not. It's because we've already described the first fiesta pilgrimage as the unleavened bread. Then we come to the second one in verse 16. It's not the same week. It's not even the same month. It's actually talking about Pentecost. Get that. Because remember, much earlier, I said, there's a debate about what the Feast of First Fruits really is. Some people say it's Pentecost. Some people say First Fruits is a separate day of its own the Sunday or some other day, some people say, during unleavened bread. But this verse makes it clear it's actually Pentecost. It's actually Pentecost. Because you've already got your unleavened bread in verse 15. Then you've got your first fruits in verse 16. Whatsoever you should have sown in your field and the fiesta of completion at the end of the year in the gathering. That's at the Feast of Booths, or the Feast of Tents, or the Feast of RVs, uh, or the Feast of Tabernacles, in of your fruits out of the field. Now notice there's fruits even mentioned, even at Tabernacles. And the unleavened bread in verse 15 talks about new grain. So all three of these are connected with harvest. 
And Jesus constantly, constantly was using the analogy of harvest. Amen. Of working on the farm and vineyards and stuff like that. So all three of these represent uh, a connection with a harvest of your food and giving God thanks for your food at every pilgrimage and at every holy day. There is a giving thanks for food or else you're fasting on the day of atonement. But normally, food is very much a part of your celebration. Amen? Food is very much a part of your celebration at the Holy Days. So, I know it can be a little bit confusing, a little bit, but your three times a year of your pilgrimage is unleavened bread, Pentecost, and Feast of Tabernacles. Remember the other chapter, Exodus 34, called Pentecost the Feast of Weeks. So it's confusing because different chapters call it different things. But it's still your spring, your summer, and your fall. And in this particular case, it is not the Sunday of Unleavened Bread that's being called, being called the Fiesta of First Fruits, but rather it is Pentecost. So I correct myself. There is a place that's called, there is a place in the Bible where it does call it the Fiesta of First Fruits, but it's entirely, it is not the week of unleavened bread. So what I had said previously was in the context of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So I was correct and wrong at the same time. I was correct in the context in which I was speaking that the first Sunday of the week of unleavened bread is never called the fiesta of first fruits. So that's a correct statement. But we do have Pentecost being called the fiesta of the harvest of fruit. Now, we could even say this, and there are some people that say this. This might be a little bit possible but not entirely possible. There are some people that say, actually, there are two feasts of first fruits. Two feasts of first fruits. One, being Pentecost, which they would call the latter first fruits. And then the early first fruits for the first Sunday on the bread. I can see that for uh, there's no holy summer assembly on that first Sunday. And the scripture doesn't really call it the fiesta of first fruits when it's referring to that first Sunday. But of course, that first Sunday is the day you start counting, and the Pentecost is the day you stop counting. So there's a connection between those two dates, but really, the Bible calls Pentecost the fiesta of first fruit. Okay? Hope it's not too complicated. The bottom line is, we're not adding any new holy day. We're not going to start any new observance. 
or do anything different at all from what we've been doing. We're not going to celebrate that first Sunday. It is not a holy commanded gathering. It is not a rest day. It is not a Sabbath day. And we don't have to do any offerings on that particular first Sunday. The only thing we have to do is start counting the 50 days, which we've been doing. We've been doing that. And sometimes we're a little bit lacking in that, though, and we need to improve on that. So I do thank our sister, uh, uh, trying to think the username she goes by on the Internet, Truth. That hurt. There's two people going by truth, something that confuses me. So I'm gonna have to write these down and write them on the wall. I'm getting old and getting sent out. Oh Lord, I need more people here locally to help me. Well, you all are on me every day. I need more help. So, one more thing I need to point out later in this same chapter here, before we move on to the second sermon. Yes, I may, I may just move that to another day. Uh, he's getting pretty long here. Yeah, I just moved the second sermon to another day. Because there are people that are listening in the middle of the night at 3, 4 o'clock in the morning and stuff like that, and they've got to get to sleep. But let me look at this to see if there's anything else I still need to cover right here. Okay, let's jump to verse 22. Well, it's very interesting. Verse 22, if you will indeed obey my voice, and if you will do all the things I shall charge you with, and keep my covenant, you shall be to me a treasured people above all nations, for the whole earth is mine, and you shall be to me a royal priesthood and a holy nation. These words shall you speak to the children of Jesus out. If you shall indeed obey my voice and do all these things, I shall tell you, and I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. Amen. Thanks, God. I was just telling Brother Bountiful Servant yesterday that very few people, very few people on this earth serve Jesus. 
as absolutely the truth, as I said at the beginning of the services today. Very few people serve Jesus. And those that do serve him are a treasure. A treasure to them. Amen. And at the time that I said that, I had no idea that I was going to be reading this chapter. No idea that I was going to be even studying this chapter, looking at this chapter when I said that. Yet, this chapter came up in my studies last night as I was preparing for today's sermons. So to me, that's a confirmation of the sermon. When I had <clears throat> said that, that the people of God that serve God is a treasure to them, and then I see that in these verses right here. Me, that's a confirmation from God that we're following his leadership about the teachings, where, what we're going to teach, what chapters we're going to look at, what, what we're going to talk about, what we're going to study together. Amen. That we're following him. Amen. <clears throat> so tomorrow is the first Sunday of Unleavened Bread. And the only thing we need to do is start counting 50 tomorrow. Day, and then uh, tomorrow is day number one. We'll count to 50, and then we'll come to Pentecost. Amen? All we need to do for tomorrow, other than we could include that in our prayers, would be good to include that in our prayer. Something like this, that, Lord, I'm counting the days to Pentecost, and I'll thank you for teaching us to count the days. Amen? It would be good to put something like that in your prayers, in your heart, however you want to say it, and actually count the days each day and mark it down on your calendar. And I really do encourage people in this time of computers, cell phones, and all the technology that we have today that has corrupted our way of life. I really do encourage people to have a real calendar on your wall made of paper that you can actually write down your appointments, mark off the day every day, keep up with what day it is, what month it is on the calendar, rather than depending on your cell phone and computers for everything. Because when you depend on computers and electronics and Internet for everything, you lose skills. You lose the skill of writing with your hand and reading a real book and reading the real Bible and using a real calendar. These are skills that people need. And one of these days we'll have to use again. When your cell phone no longer works, your battery dies, when the battery crashes, when your computer crashes, when the cell phone crashes, hopefully, in the wilderness, hopefully it will crash. Because the last thing I want is two years into the Great Tribulation, people still on their phones. I know it has a use. I know it would be beneficial to bring the sermons into the wilderness. 
But I'm old school and old-fashioned in many ways, and I think that's a positive and not a negative. I think we need to return to the old path, the old ways, and the old school ways, and the old-fashioned ways. It's better on your brain, your mentality, uh, your skills. So, I'm leaving you something to look forward to. I was soon okay. Guess what? We're going to meet back here for worship services on Friday, April 22nd, for the last day of Unleavened Bread. So, we're going to have services two days in a row next weekend, Friday and Saturday both. Friday, April the 22nd, for the last day of Unleavened Bread, and that's going to be at 11 in the morning Eastern Time, just like today. But, Saturday, the 23rd, we're going back to our normal worship service time, Saturday the 23rd, at 2 o'clock in the afternoon Eastern Time, back to the normal time. Uh, let's see. Anything else, Brother Gerald? Amen. Amen. So the mentioned in John 8 is a verse that says, Amen, Amen. Say to you, anyone keeps my word, never see God. Talking about the second thing. Of course, everybody's going to die. We're talking about the second death. Most people don't even know there is a second death. The Bible actually uses the term second death. Second death in Revelation 20. Look it up yourself. Second death is not living forever. The second death is not living forever in hell. Death is death. Believe it. Amen? Wages of sin is death, not life forever. Wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. You can't have eternal life by serving the devil. You can't. It's impossible. It's life or death. One or the other. You can't have both at the same time. There's no such thing. Okay. Right? So tonight is the night to be much observed. It's already <clears throat> nighttime. The people in Asia. They want to get to bed, although I know they're willing to stay up all night. Well, listen to me. I know they are. God bless them. But uh, I'm getting worse. Getting hoarse or worse than towels and chickens. But night is a night to be much observed. Much, much observed. So, uh, 
if you still have time in your time zone. It's not bedtime yet. I really encourage you tonight uh, to celebrate, have a feast, have a good meal. We're going to make homemade meatloaf. Uh, maybe have some mashed potatoes or some kind of potatoes with it, uh, mustard greens or something like that with it. This is old-fashioned southern uh, cooking. Amen. I would like to taste some of that southern cooking over there in South Korea. That some of that stuff is good. They sell some of it in a jar in the grocery store here. What's that called? Kibachi, is that it, or is that something else? Bought something in a jar. Starts with a K. Not the kibachi, I don't know. But I've seen that in the store a few times. Very extensive. But one of these days, I'm going to buy a jar of that. Eat some Korean food. You know, that taste. But he's got several jars of that in the refrigerator, probably two years old. Probably still good, too. Yeah. So, you're going to have a whole day on tonight. Um, maybe watching a movie or something. There's not much to hold down anymore. I'm getting old. But I definitely try to celebrate the whole day, the whole day, but especially tonight. Amen. That is good. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you Friday for the last day of Unleavened Bread. God bless. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.